Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. You know, I've told the story before about a recently married male co-worker of my husband who had just had his first fight with his wife. He came into the break room, and he was really upset, and he said he knew he was right, and all the men present said in unison, it doesn't matter, while all the women who were there just smiled. And there is so much wrong with this story, which is why I keep bringing it up, but the focus of it today is on the right-wrong kinds of disagreements, facts, arguments, whatever, that go on daily in many couples' relationships. And I was reminded of this again when I read a recent post from my friend, Matthew Frey, on his site, Must Be This Tall to Ride, which I love that, that um, title. So I asked him to join me in another conversation about the impact of arguments, both large and small, and that can bring about the end of your relationship. So, Matt, thank you so much for coming back on the show and talking about this again. It's my pleasure. I'm flattered you asked. Thank you. <laughs> so... You and I first met, I guess it was a couple of years ago, when I started reading your blog, and specifically the post that went viral about your wife leaving you because of the dishes you left by the sink. And I always told you that's not the reason why she left, and you realize that. (laughs) But you've written another piece, kind of along the same lines, about would you leave your spouse over dirty dishes, a lesson on conflict management, and in it you identify a mindset that you believe is at the core of every doomed relationship. So what is that mindset? Um, No, thank you. And I'd like to say that not only do I think it's at the core of every doomed relationship, like doomed romantic relationship, but I believe it adversely impacts our relationships at work and with family. And if you want to get really big picture about it. I actually think you can trace every deadly war and conflict in human history back to this mindset. And it oh, is, yeah. it is, I believe I'm right. I am, I am certain in my correctness. Therefore, anyone who doesn't agree is wrong. And the latitude that gives you morally when you believe that to inflict damage on other people is, is it's scary because it's a lie. If, if, if it's, if you think you have the moral authority to be correct and, and pass that judgment, then, um, then it really gives you license to, to treat others however you want. Well, and, and that ends marriages. Yeah, and that's such an important thing because it really it permeates everything. And that's one of the biggest problems. And, you know, and most people or most right-wrong arguments are about opinion, not necessarily fact. And, but... But it's a belief system, and, you know, and, and again, that is one of those things that people get into so much trouble about. Uh, agreed, and, and I meet a lot of people that are very smart and or a lot of people who are very faith-based. I will not challenge anyone's intelligence. I would never mm-hmm. disrespect someone's um, deeply sacred, held faith beliefs. It's not my place. The thing that I try to do, though, is demonstrate that there is there are, I should say, scenarios in which two people can look at the same event and genuinely interpret them differently, see them differently, feel them differently. And my favorite example is the one that makes me laugh. It's, it's imagining two people d- 
describing like the color of a flower, like like uh-huh. like hundreds of years ago before before optometry proved colorblindness was a thing. So mm-hmm. one person has color correct vision, one person is colorblind, and they have no context for the possibility that a human being can literally see a different color. And so right. they just sit there and they argue about this color and they both know they're right. And if you could just like magically teleport them to today and give them fancy colorblind glasses so that they could see what one another see, it, the fight ends. Like instantly they have context for why the two were arguing so passionately about this thing, about this, mm-hmm. you know, like arguing over what was true. And um, I think that metaphor applies to many, many relationship conflicts. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and, and this, it's one of the things I tell my clients when they're, when they're arguing about, you know, what an event that happened and, you know, who said what. And I said, if you do not have a recording of it, stop this because you each heard something different or saw right. something different. And they look at me like, I said, no. And this is one of those things. And I mean, yes, but they get so righteously indignant because, no, this is the way it was. It's like, yes, that's the way it was for you. <laughs> that's not the way it was for your partner. But I want to exactly. go a little bit deeper into your article. And you talk about, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the um, person who you got this from, but you mentioned two types of conflict, which you call right. conflict of preference and conflict of values. So what's the that's difference right. between the two of them? Uh, the writer was Mark Manson, and he was the one. He's one of my favorites because we both try to do the same thing in approximately the same style. And he, he splits conflict into two categories, preferences versus values. And it's significant in that we can all agree that I think, I think most reasonable people can agree that a marriage isn't worth like damaging over the debate whether chocolate ice cream is better than vanilla ice cream. Um, but then there's, and and that's, that's a preference, right? And, and -hmm. there's all kinds of things that are preferences and then there are values and values are who we are. Values are literally like our core, the, the thing that the stuff that makes us, um, values are sort of, I guess it's defined as, as what you do. You almost don't even need to say what they are because they show up in your actions like every day, what you prioritize and where you invest your energy. Like those are your values. Mm -hmm. And And to have a conflict of values is to potentially have an irreconcilable difference in a, in a romantic relationship. And the problem comes up when it's the argument about the merits of the dish by the sink. And I'm, I'm stereotyping because this is not always a male female thing, but often it's the husband. It was in my case saying, Hey, there's a dish by the sink. It does not, it's not, let's not elevate it to like the seriousness of a legitimate marriage fight. Let's mm-hmm. not give it that much importance. And he's blind to the fact that his refusal to do something different with that dish is a conflict of values for her. It is a painful um, act of like just disrespect and just over and over again, at least it was in my case, right? It's an, a uh-huh. one-time thing is not that. But, but when it's a pattern of behavior where we're requesting that, so uh, can you can you have preferences that are dishonored and it sort of becomes like a conflict of values? Yeah, I, I think so. In the case of a, a, a marriage where two people are sharing like time and space and resources and you know, I mean, it's, right. it's the same cycle shows up 
over and over again when two human beings voluntarily live together and then discover they've got some behavioral incompatibilities. Exactly, and I find that really interesting because one of the things that your initial piece brought up for me, and you know, there's that whole thing about don't sweat the small stuff, but it, in one person's mind it's a small thing like the dish on the, on the sink, and in another person's mind it's this really upsets me. I mean, it, you know, and this is one of the things that I talk about, and you go to Basil's hierarchy of needs, and these are your needs of belonging, the things that make you feel safe and secure in your skin and connected to other people. But it, I always talk about English being some, sometimes just an inadequate way of communicating. Of course, it's the only <laughs> way we've got. But right. because, we're ta- because we're talking about the dish on the sink, but it doesn't mean the same thing to each person. And until we get down to, here's why this bothers me. Here's what this is about. Here's why I don't like the dish on the sink or the dirty socks on the floor or, you know, the, the, you know, the car, you know, the gas tank in the car being empty. I mean, whatever, whatever the thing is, because it's, it's not about that thing. It's about what it means. And if we can't right. communicate that to people, because like you're saying, it's not really – a, a conflict of preference. It's actually a conflict of value. And but but we're but we're talking about you know the the dish on the sink, which is like ah, that's not what it's about. I know, and it's so. And I and I absolutely, for lack of a better word, empathize with the man who says, "Hey, we're we're talking about a dish here. I I love you and value our marriage so much more than this dish. Like I I want you to also not value small things as much as us together." It's, it's just this, like, accidentally twisted mindset. And it's a communication problem, exactly what you said. And the, the part where it gets really gross is that couples, often, often men, will deny their partner sort of the platform to communicate effectively about it. Like, they sort of won't sit and participate actively, lovingly, in a conversation about uh-huh. the dish because they already think it's meaningless. So they take that bias to another level and don't even engage in the conversation to try to understand it better. Well, and I would argue, because you know I do this, I will argue that quite often the person who is bothered by it can't re- isn't really aware of why it bothers them and doesn't necessarily share that in a, in a productive way. And this brings right. me up to, you know, so you we're talking around about this, but how can someone actually tell the difference between whether or not they're having a conflict of preference or a conflict of values? I have my theory, but I'm interested about yours. Well, I'm actually more interested in yours because I, 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 think, I think it has to be, I think it has to be this willingness to love our partner and value our marriage and our relationship and the health and wellness of one another and then us together as a unit I think we have to value that more than winning an argument, more than winning a fight, more than almost even more than what's true. Um, if you're so certain, you know the truth. I mean, does it does that really matter more than the health and wellness of your relationship and or the health and wellness of your the person that you claim to love? I I don't know. Well, that, and, it's and tricky that, because in the moment emotions are at play and uh-huh. they, we're not always yeah. thinking so clearly. Yeah, there is there in life, which is which is why I tell people, never have a, a discussion or try to resolve a problem when either one of you is emotionally upset because 
it guaranteed it's going to go into a fight. I can't get people to agree to it. Like, I tell them, it's like, don't do this. And then when they follow that, they go, oh. So, yeah, it worked. And I have to thank my husband for that one, not because he actually once told me, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And we, he stopped a fight in the middle of it because it's like, I'm going, crap, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the ways that I think um, – people can tell the difference whether it's a conflict of preference or values is uh, how often do we have this argument? If we keep, if this, if this argument keeps coming up over and over again, I think that's a sign that it isn't a conflict of preference, that for one person it's a conflict of values. So, so just for instance, when your wife would keep saying, you know, why, you know, or you'd have the argument over the, over the dish on the sink or on the counter, it's like, why, 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 are we, why do we keep going over this? And, and it's, it's the idea of going deeper. And um, because if something keeps coming up over and over again, you're not, you're not having the conversation you think you're having. That's right. Does that make any sense? Uh, absolutely. And I think the danger of... The danger, I'm, I'm relating this very specifically to my marriage and then sort of what I observe sometimes is um, it does seem that in conflicts like this, if one of the partners doesn't feel, as, so there, there's one partner that's like reluctant to like invest energy in this thing they don't think matters. Uh-huh. They will only invest in it if they believe like they might lose something. So a lot of times it's like they're taking their romantic partner for granted. They're saying, Mm -hmm. I love my partner and I value this marriage and I'm just going to like ignore this and it'll go away. (laughs) It's like they need to be motivated to do it. And that's a really scary thing. And I'd certainly love to get your take on that because people ask me, what do I do? Threaten to leave? What do I do? Actually leave? And I'm like, you're never going to hear me advocate advocate ending your relationship or threatening to end your relationship. Certainly if it's dishonest, do not threaten. You know, if you're going to say exactly. that, you better be willing to follow through. Um, yeah. But, I, but I'm like, the one thing I can tell you, I'm like, I'm not going to have an opinion about that. I'm just going to tell you that's what worked for me. Well, and, and part of the issue is, is that sort of what happens is that these things build up and people don't know how to do this. And there's an interesting concept um, in the marriage relationship field about, I mean, and it's true of anything, that people will not change their behavior unless the cost of staying where they are is greater than the cost of change because change is scary. People, people don't like it. We, we, you know, we like the status quo. We like predictability. We like all this yeah. stuff. Most of us, there are a few people who really love change, but that's a very small right. portion. And so it's, how, as your partner, do I let you know that this is a real problem and that if it does not change, there is, you know, there's going to be you know, a, a real cost to this? And so it's not necessarily threatening divorce because I'm with, I'm with you. Threat, threats are, you know, it's like, please don't do that. Threats, ultimatums, not the way to go. But it's, how, it, it's where do I have leverage? And sometimes it's about finding an analogy um, that somebody can understand. And so just for instance, when I started in this field, there was a possibility that I would, you know, one, of the, one of the options was 
that I would have to do home visits and things like that. And my husband went, oh, that is not happening. And that, and I'm thinking in my mind, it's like, okay, we're going to have a knockdown drag out of this because you're not going to tell me what to do. And my husband, very smart man, um, I didn't want him to – my thing with him was you can have a motorcycle or me, but you can't have both. And so yeah. he says to me one day, he says, you know the way you feel about motorcycles? I said, yes. He says, that's the way I feel about this. And I went, oh, never brought it up again because it was like he, he put it, it – he did. He put it in terms that I could understand. And it was like, now I understand how you feel about this. Got it. Yes. And, and yeah. that, that's so amazing. And I, actually, I think that is – I don't want to put more on a romantic partner that always feels like they carry most of the emotional labor load anyway. But I do think we have a responsibility in uh, unconditional, so to speak, I mean, air quotes, uh, loving yeah. relationship to communicate in the way the, you know, Gary Chapman's five love languages, like figure out how they receive information and deliver it in that format, not the way you want to or the way you get it, but identify this maybe new way where they get it and then give it to them that way. Well, absolutely, and that's one of the challenges. And by the way, this is of any two people because if you have children, because I have two children, and it was like the way I, would, the way I could communicate to one was not the way. I, I mean, it's like, I know you guys came out of the same gene pool. What's going on here? <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, I mean, but, but that's it. We are distinct personalities, and so this is how I've learned to communicate, and this is why I say English sometimes is a completely inadequate language because words don't mean the same thing to people. That's right. <laughs> you know, so that's you right. have this meaning of this word, and I have this meaning of this word, but we're using the same word, so we think it's the same thing. And it's, it's that idea, and since we start communicating at what? a year old, maybe 18 months, uh, it never occurs to us that the way we communicate is not the way somebody else. That's right. So it is about learning. So This is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm talking with blogger Matt Frey about the role conflict plays of the unhappiness in relationships. And you may think that the things you and your partner are fighting about are small things, But what if they're not? What if they're actually causing permanent damage to your relationship? Well, I've got good news. You can stop those fights immediately and deal with conflict in a much more productive way. And if you're interested in learning how, I invite you to contact me and take advantage of my free, no obligation, create your happily ever after transformation session. You can reach me at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N is in Nancy, C is in Charlie.com. Or you can give me a call at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. And now I want to get back to this wonderful conversation that I'm having about conflict in your relationship and this difference between the conflict of preference and conflict of values. And so, now, what's the best way to grasp this important difference and let go of the, I know that what I believe is right mindset? How do we even know, how do we do that? Well, I I think this is one of the most difficult things we do as humans. And you just got done talking about how we're resistant to change. You can sort of like, 
quadruple that for how resistant we are to abandon like a core belief that's like the foundation of how we think and feel about the world and our lives every second we've existed. When we start shaking those up, that gets really uncomfortable. And I think there's like, there's like good news and bad news, right? The good news is most of us have already done this. And that's because we all grew up as children believing stories that as we got into adulthood, we understood to, to not be true, right? To, to, to be essentially fairy tales. Um, and I, I don't want to like, I don't want to shatter childhood <laughs> dreams. I don't know who's listening, right? Um, right. But, but you mean like we, Santa we, Claus doesn't exist? <laughs> fair. Okay, right. There you go. There you go. And kids everywhere sob. Um, right. That was, that's my favorite metaphor because it's the, well, and I don't want to speak for everybody. Maybe some people don't have that experience, but I really did believe in Santa Claus and I really did think it was amazing when, you know, presents showed up under uh-huh. the tree for a handful of years. And then later we learned that that's not true and it's, it's foundation shaking as insane as it might, might sound to some or, or, or perhaps people have never thought about it before. Um, we, we now have to ask people in the context of a values conversation to do that voluntarily, to, to seek out evidence that things they believe might not be true. Um, but that's what it takes. The, the, to change, the value has to fail in an organic way. It's, it's not going to be because somebody mm-hmm. screamed uh, an, uh, an opposing political opinion you know, while, while picketing. Like that's, right. that's not how it's going to happen. It's got to fail. No in an honest, organic way that you experience yourself. And so I'm really glad you brought this up because one of my favorite stories I've ever heard in my life, I learned this week, and it applies to this conversation. Oh, well, great. So there's, there's a man. His name is Daryl Davis, and he's a, he's a black musician in the South. Uh-huh. And he's like, like a blues musician or something. And the truth is I don't know, I don't know very much about him right now because I just haven't like dug deeper on who he is yet, but he – gave a TED Talk on how he intentionally befriends white supremacists and attends Ku Klux Klan rallies as a black man in order to connect with these men. So he does not Mm -hmm. go in the spirit of conflict. He does not go to cause trouble. He goes and he is friendly, kind, respectful. He's empathetic. He, He understands that they have this worldview and that they have this worldview for a reason. And all he does is seek to understand it and to be good to them as good as he can possibly be. Just, just treating them how he would treat anybody else decently. And through that practice over the years, he's had hundreds of KKK members abandon that, that, that membership and that belief Mm -hmm. and that life philosophy. And so it wasn't, it wasn't let me collect a bunch of evidence and explain to you why your beliefs are wrong and why you're a bad person. Uh-huh. It was just in a very subtle, brilliant way, like sort of killing them with kindness. And again, mm-hmm. not even manipulative, because I don't think it would work if you were trying to trick them. Oh, no. no. Yeah. He, he means this. He cares about these men. And so he goes to just be good to them. And in doing so, they realize, wow, I don't hate black people. Wouldn't you know it? And right. then they, it shatters this, this sort of incorrect, and that's, you know, it, it, right? It's like a, it's a value that's, that's not a great value. Um, right. And I am 
secretly obsessed right now with trying to apply that to relationships. So what is, what is the equivalent framework in a relationship? What is the way we can be Daryl Davis to our partner in a way that isn't let's argue, let's fight, let's try to convince one another we're wrong? Um, uh-huh. and, I, and I don't think it's an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but I'm right. so mesmerized by by the counterintuitive approach to getting somebody to change what they believe. Well, um, and, that and, I want to tap into that. Well, I mean, and that's so crucial because there's a quote, and I, I don't have the who, who said it right off the top of my head, but I use it a lot about that being heard is as, is, is as close to being loved that they're almost the same thing. And that's one of the things that, especially in arguments, especially when people are stirred up, when, I'm emo- when anybody's emotionally stirred up, they actually cannot listen. Everything about us is going outward. I mean, we have, I, I tell people we have expressions, you know, I see red, there's a rushing in my ears, I feel numb. All of our senses are, are just overloaded. And so I literally cannot hear you. <laughs> But so we're trying to resolve something and nobody's really listening, whereas if we stop and go, okay, tell me what that's about. Tell me what's that like, what that's like. And I'm sure that's what this gentleman does because he recognizes these people, and we all are, are um, we're, we're the combination of our experiences. It's what we've learned. It's what we've been exposed to. And if I want you to know something different, then I need, I, I need to first understand where you are and not from a judgmental standpoint of, a, of well, of course this is what you believe. Why would, why, how could you possibly believe anything different right. based on your background? And right. I mean, I, I think that's an amazing thing, and it's really how we have to approach people. And if we, so two of my favorite words are curiosity and confusion. In fact, my, I was just with my daughter this weekend, and she was, there was some big mix-up with I me. Mean, she was really upset about something, and she was going to have to go in and talk to somebody. And I said, okay, here's what you do. <laughs> I, said, I said, go in and say, help me understand. This is my understanding of what, of, 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 of what happened. What am I missing? And, and she actually thanked me when she got back because it went much better because she was really upset and really angry and really hurt. And I got that. I said, honey, I get this. But if you go in there like that, their hackles are going to go up. I said, if you go in there and go, help me understand what happened here. I think there was a misunderstanding. <laughs> and then it got cleared up. So, I mean, it is that kind of thing. And, and, you know, I'm confused. I'm curious. Tell me more. You know, and then that's where we can learn. That's that's absolutely right. And, and Leslie, do we? How are we on time? Uh, I think we got about another few minutes. So another one of my favorite writers is a man named Warren Berger, and he is a former New York City business writer who now writes books about the power of question asking. Uh-huh. And I was reading his most recent book and trying to study the art of question asking for the purposes of, of, of this, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, reducing, minimizing conflict, um, which I, I always think is, is just understanding. It's just, as you said before, words don't always mean the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. And you don't even need it to mean the same thing. You just need to know that your partner understands it to mean something else. And then you can mm-hmm. adjust. Um, and so there was, this, there was this section on decision-making about, about beliefs and about choices. And mm-hmm. there was four questions. I don't know if we have time for this. Four questions sure. where he said, these are the four questions you can ask that can bring you to the best conclusion, right, a, a good conclusion. And the first one is, so, and, and, and I guess I'm couching this in the context of um, what I believe about my partner, right? Do I uh-huh. believe they don't love me and they don't respect me and they're not giving as much to this marriage as I am and they're not as committed to this marriage as I am? So you have to decide whether you think that's true or not. Question number one is what am I inclined to believe? So like just what do I believe already? And just write right. that down. Number uh-huh. two, the jugular question from Nobel Prize winning physicist Arno Penzias. Why do I believe what I believe? And uh-huh. this is one of those where if you really get, if you're, if you're getting radical about it, you can start to get really uncomfortable with yourself, which is why I nicknamed it the jugular question. Because <laughs> you can literally like shatter core beliefs that you've had your entire life if you dig deep enough with why do I believe what I believe. Maybe it's exactly. because you were born somewhere and a bunch of people told you something, and maybe that's why. And maybe exactly. you have zero evidence to, you know, support the to reason support you that. believe that. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, maybe reevaluating that's a good idea. But in this case, it's just why do you believe what you believe about your partner? Exactly. Um, three, three, the desirability bias. What, what would I like to be true? Like, what do I want to be true? And this is tricky, too, because it can be subconscious. You might want to justify your anger. You might want to justify um, an inclination to leave or do you have a romantic affair or who knows what. But, right. but desirability bias can be every bit as powerful as confirmation bias in yes. terms of like psychology and influence and, and what we believe. And so it's like you've you got to check that. And then number four, and it's my favorite one, and it's what if the opposite were true? And so that is taking on the role of if – if one side's the defendant in a court case, you take on the role of the prosecutor voluntarily. You do this, this mock exercise of trying to poke holes in your own theory, in your own beliefs, and you just, just give it an honest try. What, what evidence might there be? What reasons might there be where the opposite version of what you believe is true? And just, just going through that exercise will do one of two things. It will allow you to ask better questions about what you believe and why, or it'll sort of cement that you're, you're on solid footing, <laughs> that you've, you've done all the right things and that you believe, you know, things that are healthy and good and that hold up to scrutiny. Um, but anyway, by going through that question exercise, you can get to some pretty strong, well-thought-out places, and it invites conversation and self-reflection and the kind of humility that's required for two people to connect when they're in the midst of this conflict you and I are talking about. Right, and I, I, I love that because it goes to something that a colleague of mine, Terry Real, talks about, which is the core negative image we have of our partner, what we believe about them when they are at their worst. And you know, it goes also to confirmation bias. If I have this belief, I will pay attention to those things that support that belief, and I will ignore the things that don't. And so I love the why do I believe this? Why do I want to believe that my partner does not love or care about me? Because, because at the core, that's kind of what we're talking about. You know? And it's like, 
why, why would I think this? What, where's the evidence that shows my partner doesn't love me? And then I love the other question about, well, but is there evidence that my partner does? And I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier, the love languages, this is one of those challenges that people, I mean, love, there's, there's that wonderful word that means so many different things to so many different people. It's like, yeah. well, when you say you love me, what does that mean? Or, well, you, you know, you say that you love me, but I don't feel it because you're not speaking my love language. I mean, it's like, oh, gosh, this is just like, ah! <laughs> yeah. But these, I love those questions. I think they're really important. And, again, that's one of those things that when they, we're probably not going to be able to do in the moment that we're upset, which is why I tell my clients on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, with one being I'm completely calm and ten, somebody's going out the second story window and I don't know who it is, um, <laughs> don't open your mouth if you're higher than a three. Because, you know, and so they look at me like I'm crazy. And I said, no, because, you, because at a three or lower, you can ask yourself these questions. You can answer these questions. If I'm at a ten, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just really upset. And people think they don't have any control over this. But they do. I can choose yeah. whether or not I'm going to be angry. Now, that's a in the moment, brilliant exercise. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the moment, I I'm, I have the reaction, but then it's like, do I want to continue this? And unfortunately, that's when most people open their mouths, which is a disaster. Versus, hey, honey, we need to sit down and talk about something. You know, last Tuesday when this happened, I was really upset. You know, <laughs> which is of course, you know, but but. Everybody just knows, well, but we're just talking. It's like, yeah, but there are some things that can make it helpful and things that can't. And I think those four questions are really, I, I love them. I, thanks for sharing those. I really appreciate no. that. And, well, and I thank you for sharing the framework of scale of 1 to 10, not, not discussing it if you're above a 3. What's brilliant about that is not only would if both people are on board. If both people are on board, that's kind of what you need. Um, mm-hmm. for that to, like, work without one person, like, going off the deep end potentially. But it not only does it, like, reduce conflict, like, in the moment, but it would make you so mindful. It would, it would, it would increase self-awareness. It would make you evaluate your emotional state of being, and it would make you choose relationship over self. And I, I never thought of that before. I think it's brilliant. No, thanks. So, Matt, where can people read your articles, learn more about, you know, because you come up, I mean, like I said, the, the four questions, the, the um, conflict of, you know, values versus, you know, choice versus preference, where can they read more about this? Well, there's, like, amazing writers all over the place that have all said it better than I have. Okay, do not, try, do not do that because you're an amazing writer, be, so stop that. Try to be a conduit try to be a conduit to good ideas. And, um, but so my blog is musttbethistalltoride.com. And um, I'm also a regular contributor to the Good Men Project and some other places, but, but those would be my blog and the Good Men Project would be the two primary places to find stuff that I write. Well, terrific. So I want to tell people, it's like I, as you know, strongly disagree with a lot of my colleagues who say that all couples fight and it's actually a good thing. To me, this lets people off the hook for learning how to be effective communicators. And all couples, in fact, all people will disagree about things, about something. There's no person who's going to agree with you 100%, so forget that idea. 
But fighting is a choice, and it's a choice that can end your marriage. But you don't have to make that choice. So the question that I have is, will you learn a different way? And hopefully by listening to this show and listening to great guests like Matt, you're going to get the idea that there is another way. So hopefully you'll keep listening. And until next week, stay loving. Stay loving.